0: come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: today we're going to see that no matter how bad david messes up no matter what he does what he does that's permissible and not perfect god still fixes it up as long as david gives it up So we're going to see a couple of things here. And and so no matter how bad you've messed up, God can fix it up if you just give it up to Him. So verse 1, it says, And David said in his heart, a lot of problems start in our lives when we say in our heart, when we start listening to ourselves, our own advice.
0: Mark continues his teaching through the book of 1 Samuel, he'll be encouraging us to remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to cooperate with his leading. As humans, we tend to like the idea that we're the ones in control of our own lives and faith. Now as Christians, we unfortunately still struggle from time to time with letting this go and giving our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus in our day-to-day decisions. Thankfully, God is gracious, and even when we make a mistake, God provides us with a U-turn back in the right direction. Our goal is to die to ourselves and to allow more of Jesus to reign in us. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 27 with today's edition of Come Alive.
1: Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. And then David arose and he went over with the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreel, Jezreelite, Idas and Abigail, the Carmelitess Nabal's widow. And it was said to Saul that David had fled to Gath, and so he sought him no more. And then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country, the Philistines, was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Gezurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremelites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was the behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. And so Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. Sometimes we have to stop and ask, am I living a perfect life, or am I just living the life That's a permissible life. Am I living just a permissible life or am I living a perfect life? Most people would assume that the perfect life basically is, well, praying every day, doing good every day, giving away stuff every day, sharing every day, reading God's word every day, witnessing every day. But that's a good life. That's an okay life. But a life that you would be able to say, and and if you did all that stuff, you would probably be able to say, well... I'm doing it all. I'm doing it the right way, and I'm in God's perfect will. And I would probably say then if you're doing it just so you could say it, then you're probably not living the perfect life, even though you do a lot of stuff. Maybe you don't pray for days, or you don't read your Bible, you don't share your stuff. In fact, you're pretty greedy. But today we're going to see that no matter how bad David messes up, no matter what he does, what he does that's permissible, And not perfect, God still fixes it up as long as David gives it up. So we're going to see a couple of things here. And and so no matter how bad you've messed up, God can fix it up if you just give it up to him. So verse 1, it says, And David said in his heart, a lot of problems start in our lives when we say in our heart, when we start listening to ourselves, our own advice. We think we're great. So you could say, here we go again. David, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul, he says. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Remember when he did this last time? He took off, he left to the Philistine. Uh, who was Goliath? He was a Philistine. He was from Gath. And so here goes David. He starts freaking out because Saul is chasing him. Saul has on his mind that he wants David dead. And so most of us would probably say, David, are you kidding me? Bro, did you not read what happened a few chapters ago? Uh, were you not there? I know it was you. We read about you. Just wait. Just wait four more chapters, Dave, and everything will be okay. Saul will actually die. Don't seek refuge with the Philistines. I mean, I don't know if you're like me when you read, but that's how I'm reading. I'm like, man, are you? come on, Dave, just four more chapters, just a little bit. Come on, you can hang on that long. You can wait it out that, that amount of time. Remember when he was there the last time, what did he do? It's kind of funny. He acted crazy. He started drooling down his beard. So they were like, "That guy, he's a little nuts, and we should send him out of here and let him go." And so he acted crazy in front of this guy. But no matter what David did, or no matter what David is, he's still a man of God. No matter how he's acting, how he's portraying himself, he's still a man of God. And you might, and some of us might be thinking, "Well, how, how can this be?" He, well, he's a man, right? And nobody's perfect. And as a human, he will from time to time make some mistakes, just like you and I do. But it's funny when we read this, because I remember as I was reading this, and even again last night as I read over it, I was reading over it, and I was like, man, there, there are those little disappointing things that take place in here that we can pick up on that aren't right. And how is he that he's still a man after God's own heart, and yet Saul is not? Uh, Doesn't Saul make mistakes? Isn't he doing some bad things here? So if you think about it, Saul has been after David for 14 chapters. For 14 chapters. David's probably a little worn out. He's a little tired. But once again, we see David consult his own heart for direction. He starts to listen to himself. He does not feel that God is close. And some of the psalms he writes in this time kind of prove that. He asks God, why do you stand so far off from me? Why are you hiding yourself in these times of trouble? How long will you hide your face from me? That's a psalm, that's a, that's a journaling, that's a writing of somebody who's pretty much bummed out. When I first read that psalm, I didn't understand the, the whole meaning behind it. A long time ago, and I was like, man, this guy, this David, he's very melancholy. He's kind of bummed out a lot of times. I mean, he's a musician. I bet his songs are more slow beat. They're not real fast upbeat, and they're not real happy. Uh, but at the end, when you get to the end of some of those psalms, you're like, oh, wow, it, it does take a turn. Things are better. And so here we see that David, he, he's just a guy. He's just human. He makes mistakes, and he decides that he's going to listen to himself. And the problem is, is he said in his own heart. That very first line. And so David talks like that. And when a man talks like that, he's at his breaking point. When you read those Psalms, you understand that he's at his breaking point. Think about the pressure he has. He's got 600 men with him and their families. And so as a leader, you sometimes think that, well, you know, I got people that I have to take care of. 600 men and their families and my own family. I got to find food from them. And from chapter 30, it suggests that these men had wives with them and their families. Because if they have left their families back in Israel, well, Saul probably would have done some crazy stuff with them. They feared for their families, so they packed them up and took them. And so they had to feed them. And so he had a lot of mouths to feed and he felt responsible. Plus, again, Saul is after him. It's pretty tough when somebody's chasing you, somebody wants you to die, and I sort of know what this feels like. Not somebody chasing me, but having a bunch of mouths to feed, owning my own landscaping business. I look at those guys every day and think, man, I've got I to gotta do stuff to continuously take care of these guys. I've told you guys before, I have their pictures, or I used to, we just moved, I don't know where those pictures are, of, of my, my employees' families up, or their children That way, when I sit down and I'm like, man, I don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do to grow this business and bring in more business, I look up and I see those kids. I don't have my kids up there. And the reason I don't is because I see them every day. But I have theirs up there. And it is a great responsibility. And it's one of the things I tell my employees all the time. When one of them gets in trouble or doesn't do his job, I'm like, hey, you have to realize if we lose this property, somebody might lose their job. We lose money. Hours get cut. And that affects everybody. Or it could affect you and your family. And so to talk like that and to understand and see when times get rough and you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Should I take a loan? Should I run to the, to the Philistine camp and borrow some money from them and wind up being their slave? Because that's essentially what David does. He runs to these guys to seek refuge, to get food, to take care of his men, to feed these people because he's tired of running. And so, again, also being the pastor of a church. A lot of times sitting on this side of this this podium here sometimes you hear, Hey, we need help, we need money, we need rent. This is happening in my life. This is what's going on. And it's heavy duty stuff and to, to feel that burden that got it, it's a blessing, and then sometimes it's it gets heavy. Sometimes it gets real heavy and sometimes just being a man, you just wanna be like, All right, here's what we can do. I can go over here to Katie Christian's ministry and ask them for some help. Or you know what might be better? What if I just started praying? What if I just really sought the Lord and got on my face and then seek counsel and then, and then look in his word and see what it says? And that's the better thing. And when that happens, we see that, you know what, the Lord always prevails. People get taken care of. And so sometimes, you know, not just paying the electric bills for other people or grocery bills or helping somebody find a home or get them a car or finding them a job, but also just, just those things. So, again, you know, you need to take care. You hear those things, and when people come up and they're asking for a job, they are asking for a job. They want to work, but they're also saying, hey, I need to take care of, and you have people to take care of, your family. You know it on a smaller scale. I know what it's like to take care of a family. I have that. To take care of a wife and two kids and the dogs and now the chickens and my homeless guy. I actually have my own homeless guy. He's not homeless anymore, but he used to be. And those people depend on me. That's just that, that small group. And then I depend on you. And you have people that depend on you as well. And we depend on each other. And that's how it works. So on a small scale, I know the pressure and the burden. I don't have 600 men. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever want 600 men. That would be tough to... To manage, I'd be a boat I wouldn't want to pilot. But I don't have a physical enemy after me. I have a spiritual enemy after me. His name's Satan. It says in the Bible, he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Then I read stories of guys who chase lions on snowy days into a pit and kill them. And I want to be that guy. See, we have families, and if you're a committed Christian whose life's in the hands of God, then you're also going to go through some of this buffeting from the devil. He's going to chase you. If you're a committed Christian, now if you're not a committed Christian, and the way you can tell if you're not is you're not going to have a whole lot of problems. You're going to have maybe a mortgage payment and a car payment, but those, and then jobs going well and everything's going, there are those times when it's good, but there are those other times when it gets heavy and it's hard. We see it all the time when people step up into ministry and they're like, man, life just got rough. And you're like, of course, Satan doesn't want you to have it easy. He doesn't want life to be easy for you. He wants you to do as little as possible. And that's the same thing we heard yesterday in, those, in that prophecy conference. Is that if Satan just can take the wind out of our sails, well, we're not going to move forward. And if we don't move forward as Christians, taking a stand for the things we should take a stand for, then it's okay because we'll fall for anything. And it's okay for our country, our president, to send a homosexual man into a Muslim country so he can get killed. And, you know, it's like nobody really thought that one through when they sent that guy over there. When I heard that again, I was like, yeah, man, it just really, oh, it irks me. When we sent that ambassador and then they kill the ambassador and we stand by and do nothing. And we say, oh, too bad. America was hurt. And now we flip the channel. And so we, we, we don't take a stand anymore as Christians. Nobody is has, has rising up going, this is wrong. Nobody's saying anything that it's wrong. And now we get to choose, and I hear a lot of people choosing, you know, who to vote for. The lesser of two evils. Well, nonetheless, it's still an evil, right? You always hear, well, it's better to err on the side of, well, you still err. It's still wrong. And so here, sometimes doing the right thing is the hard thing to do. But yet we listen to ourselves all the time, like David, he said, in his heart you know what you'll notice in this chapter and what maybe we didn't catch in the last chapter is that it's been a long time since David consulted with God. And I think it's been a long time since our country literally and some, some of us as Christians have really consulted with God, really sat down and consulted and said, God, what do you want me to do? Not, Lord, can you help me with I need? It would be good if I could have. Instead of saying, Lord, you know, what about using me? To take a stand. Where can I take a stand? And, and some of us might be afraid to do that. And there's no room for fear and faith. It's one or the other. Sometimes you might be a little scared. We talked about it in the leadership meeting this morning. Uh, Indiana Jones in the third movie. Which one was that? The temple? The whatever it was. Indiana Jones where he's walking across that big chasm and he can't see the bridge. And all of a sudden he takes a step and boom, there it is. Yeah, he was a little scared. But nonetheless, he took the step. We may be a little scared, but nonetheless, we need to take that step. That step of faith to say, hey, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to write a congressman and say what I think is wrong. I want to rally behind somebody that is doing the right thing. And Mike McIntosh made a point yesterday about how we've allowed abortions. 52 million babies died. If you think about 52 million people paying taxes right now, we probably wouldn't be in the problem that we would be in. That next generation would have some money from Social Security and stuff. But as we continue, well, we might run out. And Joel Rosenberg has a book called Implosion, and they think that that's what's going to happen to America. Because, again, in the Bible, you see nothing about the United States of America. We're We're not in the end times. And a lot of Christians might think, oh, well, we'll be raptured before. No, we might go through some suffering and some hardship before the rapture happens. So what are we doing? What are we doing to see that those people out there that have no hope, to give them some hope during these hard times that are coming our way? And not to be a doomsday, and I don't mean to bum anyone out, but you know what? I'd rather tell the truth than send you away with some false hope that life's going to be great when it may not be. There are going to be great days. Uh, There are going to be good things. I have a great day when I just hang out with my children, and they sit on my lap. And even this morning, a great morning when they ran in and, My son put his cheek on my cheek and just said, Dad, I missed you. I was like, oh, man, that's nice. I missed you too. Now get out of here. I got a meeting to do. So, you know, just those things. So, again, Ephesians 6.12 tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so David goes to his heart. But Jeremiah 17.9 tells us something about the heart. It says it's wicked and deceitful. Above all things, who can know it? So why would you listen to a wicked, deceitful thing? But we do. I know in my heart of hearts, I've heard that. I know in my heart of hearts I'm supposed to, and it's like, really? Have you looked at how many times you've listened to your heart of hearts and it's fooled you? It's tricked you? Well, Jesus lives in my heart. Well, go to Jesus. Don't go to your heart. Go to to the guy who who is dwelling in your heart. Don't go to your heart. Don't listen to yourself when facing an enemy. If you're filled with fear, then you're going to hear from your heart fear. If you're scared, you're going to hear scared. You're not going to hear faith. If David would just examine the motives of his heart, he would see that he's forgetting the grace of God. He would see that, you know what, I hadn't consulted God. It's been a long time, David, since we've heard you even discuss God talk to God. He does a lot of right things, but we don't see him going to God. When we go face to face um, with a trial, it's easy to forget the grace and goodness of God. It's real easy to forget God's grace and goodness when we're in a trial, when those things are right in our face and it's tough to handle. And because David reasoned in his heart, he gets it all mixed up. He came to wrong conclusions. And and that's what happened to us. But we come to wrong conclusions. I've been there. I've done that. I've come to the wrong conclusion. Made bad decisions based off of, this is what I think I should do. I just had a friend, another pastor, and and he was telling me, he's like, man, I've, I've, I've depended too much on what I know and not enough on who I know. And he was like, and now I'm in this mess. And I was like, man, I know. I've been there, and I've watched you get into the mess. And so we sometimes wind up living in enemy territory, like David. He winds up living in enemy territory because he talked to himself instead of talking to God. Look at verse 2. It says, Then David arose, and he went over with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelites, and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. So here, it seems the, at first that it pays off to listen to himself. Everything's great. And sometimes it always seems that way. You start to listen to yourself and you have the solution. You're like, yeah, this is the way to go. I'm going to do it this way. Ah, feels good to do it. I know I'll, I'll pay it back on the back. Yeah, there's a little more interest than I wanted. But you know what? I'll go ahead and do it this way because, you know what? Right now, it's more cost effective. And then when it comes time for that, for that interest payment to show up, Uh, 0% for 90 years. And at the end of the 90 years, you find out that, well, wait a minute, they're charging me all this back interest. And it's way more than that thing cost me in the beginning. That wasn't such a good idea. And so he thinks that it's a good idea. It looks like it's a good idea to listen to himself. Saul no longer is looking for David. Hey, I've got some peace. I got some quiet. Satan does this. He, he, He withdraws for a moment that he might, well, seem like he's at peace with you. Just so you can get comfortable and you can rest and you let your guard down. And then when your guard's down, what happens? Well, guess what? He comes and he punches you right in the face. That peace is only a stupor that descends upon the soul for a moment. It feels good for a little while. But then you wake up in the middle of the night and you start to wonder, well, what if I didn't do this? Oh, what if things were the way God wanted them to be? What if I did live in God's perfect will and not just by permission or allowing him to allow what's taking place? But to get to that peace, he had to live in enemy territory. Sometimes for you and I to have that peace, we have to live in enemy territory. Do the things of the enemy. Walk amongst them. Of course Satan's going to leave you alone if you're no longer a threat. When you're no longer a threat, why bother with you? I've taken your legs out from underneath you. You can't chase me. You can't come after me. So it's been a while since David talked to God. Sometimes we tend to get depressed. We tend to say, I'm afraid that the Lord has undertaken something more than he can accomplish. I'm afraid that, you know what, God can't handle my situation and he's just leaving me out here. And why are you standing so far off from me, God? And where are you at in this dark moment? I can't seem to find you.
0: We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel, Katy. We are a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.